incredible balance in the Word and the Spirit. Bob loves doctrine. He understands, actually, that John 4 verse that we worship the truth about who God is, and we worship in spirit, and um, he's an anointed preacher of the Bible, so I'm incredibly excited, and I know that this Word is specifically for many of us tonight, and so let's just take a second and open our hearts and... uh, Prepare to receive, because I know that Bob's burning with a word on relationships and what God's done in his life, and Bob's walked through a lot and experienced the goodness and faithfulness of God. So Lord, we just honor the Holy Spirit in this man. I thank you for his heart to serve this community. I thank you for his passion to see captives freed. I thank you for his willingness to pray for so many of us. We love our brother. We open our hearts to receive all that you have for us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. Thank you, Clint. Before I get into the message, I'm going to just prepare your hearts for it. The kingdom of God, Jesus came, and he brought something new into this world. He told his disciples to preach the kingdom, and not just preach the kingdom is at hand. He told them to do to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out devils. That was just as much a release of the kingdom of God as preaching the gospel. Many of us have reduced it down to the mere gospel. The gospel is necessary, it's a part of it, but it's not all of it. He said to Peter, then he said to his other disciples, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Keys give you access to somewhere that you previously did not have access to. Keys symbolize authority. Keys are very important. Without them, you will not go where you're supposed to go. Then Jesus says, the parable of four soils, the last soil is good. And the seed is planted, which is the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That seed comes in. It mixes in good soil. And it bears much fruit. And Jesus says to him who received that seed and it grew, that is the person who has understanding. The different keys in the kingdom of God. God told me one of them is faith. By faith, I engage the promises of God and I release the reality, the power of the kingdom, the infinite power of God into this realm by faith. That is a key. There's another key called understanding. And that's a key, if you embrace it, if you open your heart and mind to this key of understanding, you're not just going to be a Christian who enjoys the blessings of God but cannot reproduce. You're going to be a Christian with understanding and a key that is going to be able to take the truth of the kingdom of God and plant it into other people into other lives. You're going to know how to operate in your authority. God calls us to go beyond the positive emotional experience. That's a part of it. That is a huge part of it. But we cannot be selfish with the blessings God has given us. We need to release those blessings and have understanding in order to do that. So this is going to be about understanding in a particular vein. And I really hope that you engage this because if you do, some of your lives are going to be transformed. This word is from God. It's not from me. It's from God. It's called restoring the father image of God. Let me ask you this question. Is it hard for anyone here to express love? You feel love, but can you express it without any hindrance? You don't have to raise your hands or answer, but but answer to your own self. Be honest with yourself. Is it hard for you to express love? Is that fearful for you? There's a difference between having love for somebody and being able to express that love to that somebody. That's a huge difference. Having and giving are two very different things. Fear of rejection, associating love with pain, can shut down your capacity to love. 
Love's a dangerous thing in a fallen world. Many, most of you who are Christians, many of you, I'm sure, have grown up in Christian homes with godly parents. And they loved you. However, some of them were fully unable to communicate that love that you need. God created us in such a way that without love, our lives are empty and we suffer. We are meant for love and without it, life is meaningless. Many of your parents had wounds and have wounds that hindered them from expressing the love that you needed, that you were designed to receive. Some of you come from unsaved homes. Some of you come from homes that, that were very abusive. And so your heart is way more damaged than some others that are here. The lack of love, you as a child, your parents not giving you the love that you needed and craved, it, it causes you to feel unloved. To feel unloved is to feel rejected. What happens when you feel rejected? The heart closes. You know why? Because you don't want to feel the pain. So many of us have moved away from our hearts into our minds. I've, I've met many people who, who live out of their minds and they don't dare touch their hearts because it's so painful to go there and they've basically shut their hearts down to protect themselves. We're made for love. Just like plants need sunlight to grow, so we need love. Love is like food that sustains and strengthens our soul. Do you know that there have been studies, babies who had received everything they needed physically, but they didn't receive touch, they didn't receive intimate voice, from, from a mother or father figure, and even though they had all their physical needs met, many of these babies died for no physical reason. Many of these babies, when they grew up, they, they were blind or deaf. Love is very important. In fact, it's essential. It is essential for, for health. Okay. Those who feel unloved are never satisfied. If you're always looking from one thing to another to try and fill the void... If you're always on Facebook, you're always on the TV, you know what that probably means? Probably means you have a big void that you never dealt with in your heart. Those are symptoms of something that's really missing deep down inside. Some of you have come from very severe childhoods, and you know why? Because I've prayed for some of you. You know what happens when you experience severe woundedness in childhood? You suppress it. Because that's a, that's a natural defense mechanism that God has put in you and able for you to endure. And it'll stay buried for years, sometimes decades. And once you're ready to deal with it, it'll come back to the surface. And that's grace. That's grace. But you get so emotionally disconnected with the pain of childhood. I know people who don't even remember parts of their childhood in large degrees because it was so painful. It was, they just they shut it down. It was tuned out in order to cope, to protect themselves an unmet need makes us sick. If you don't get the right nutrients for your body, you know what happens? You get sick. You become vulnerable to, to any sort of disease or, or sickness that would come against you. It's the same thing emotionally. An unmet emotional need makes us emotionally sick, it makes us unhealthy, it makes us unbalanced. Now we're going to do a little transition here. This, this is where it gets... You got you to put your thinking caps on because this particular part is probably something most of you've never thought about. And it's very important for you to be set free. Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. Rules without relationship create a performance based self acceptance. I'll say that one more time. Rules, even good rules, without relationship, create a performance-based self-acceptance. I'm going to flush this out. For many of us, we had parents who laid down rules and brought punishment and reward based upon our ability to perform to their standards. To a degree, this has to be done in the child's first years of life. However, 
Here's where it gets destructive. When emotional affection and acceptance is given or withheld from parent to child based upon your ability to perform, then you're in trouble. In your mind and in your heart, lies are formed that are destructive to your emotions. And not only to your emotions, but actually to every future relationship that you will ever have in your life. It's programmed in you. You're conditioned unconsciously. It will affect your relationship with God, parental figures, peers, etc. Here's what a little child thinks. Because little children, their, their minds are not developed like adults are, little children. They perceive things only in relation to themselves and to their heart. They don't see the greater picture of why mom or dad would do something, um, a divorce. It's not their fault. But dad leaves. The child doesn't understand why the divorce happened. All the child understands is daddy's not here for me anymore. The child feels it, and it hurts like hell. And he thinks, I'm not important enough for daddy to be around. Or mommy is not there. Mommy neglects me. And I don't understand that maybe mommy's really hurting. And it's not a problem with me. It's a problem with emotional woundedness in mommy. But me as a little child thinks, I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth my mother's time. The child will interpret it in such a way as to create a false identity of the self. Satan's job is to try and destroy and rob us of our identity. That's what he's going after. He does it from generation to generation to generation. He conditions family lines with curses and ungodly ways of, of thinking and behaving and, and treating each other. So the generation of destruction and, and woundedness and betrayal and abandonment and all of that just goes from one family to another until Christ intervenes. When obeying the rules become in the child's mind the means by which he or she relates to the parents, then bondage is a result. Now, I'm going to say this in a different way. When you have parent here, child here, and rules in the middle, and that's the only mediator or tool by which that child can get emotional fulfillment, that child is basically in a, a cage of lies. However, how do you get the kids out of the cage? Most of us are probably going to be moms and dads. Here's how you do it. Whether they behave well or not, you choose to love them consistently and show affection consistently, not in response to their ability to be good or bad, but in their response to be your child. And that is going to prepare them for healthy relationships with themselves and with others and with God in the future. Performance-based acceptance or conditional love would be good ways to describe the more common kind of parent-child relationship as seen in our fallen world. And many of you can reflect right now. Did I grow up in an environment where mom and dad loved me unconditionally and I really felt love no matter what I did? If that is the case, you would feel that for the rest of your life. If that wasn't the case, you probably don't have a very high self-esteem and you're probably rejecting yourself and trying to do things to perform so you can feel good about yourself. And you're probably trying to even unconsciously perform to God and use his rules in such a way as you want to feel good about yourself and think God feels good about you. That's a trap. That's very bad. Okay. Children are taught to relate to the rules. Many children, probably most of you, I was, are taught to relate to the rules, even good rules, in such a way that it is the barrier between us and love, us and relationships. The relationship to the rules is wrong. That's a key right there. I, I want you to get that. The relationship to the rules is wrong. You can be a Christian and you can look at good rules because all God's rules are good rules, but you can have a wrong relationship to those rules. 
You can have a slave mentality and think my value is based upon the ability to perform to those rules. And my ability to accept or receive love is based on the ability to perform to those rules. That can be a romantic relationship. That can be your friendship relationship. I gotta do the right thing to feel good. And that person's only gonna feel good about me if I perform well enough so they can accept me. That's, wh that's conditional love. That's not the love of God. And that's something we need to be set free from. Okay? This view is brought into our Christian experience, this wrong relationship to the rules. It is so programmed in us that it is the default perspective. Used as a filter when we as Christians relate to God. If we grow up in that environment, that is our filter subconsciously, emotionally, how we relate to God without even thinking about it. We don't choose to do it. It was chosen for us. Not by God, but by not the best parenting in the world. Okay. Our parents unintentionally, unintentionally condition us this way. We can try and pin, you know, point at our parents, but you know what? We're in a sinful world, and in a sinful world, there's going to be wounds. There's going to be disappointment. And so I have to understand, if my mother was not able to love me the way she needed to, to make me feel satisfied, I have to forgive her and realize it's because of, because of her wounds, not because I wasn't worth being loved. The wounds, as we started off in this message, hinder love from being expressed. Do you know how many parents are afraid of their children rejecting them? And so that very thing, because they were rejected as children, or they were rejected by their husband or by their wife, it hurts so badly to be rejected, and so they're afraid to emotionally engage their children because the fear of being rejected is so terrifying to them. Anybody like that here? Don't raise your hand, but anybody terrified of being rejected and so you don't go deep with other people and you're starving emotionally? I would have to think so. A good relationship with the rules. You know, the Pharisees had a bad relationship with the rules. They, they kept hitting Jesus over and over again for doing good things on the Sabbath. Jesus corrects them in Mark, 20, or Mark 2, 27. This is a paraphrase. The Sabbath is made for man. The Sabbath is made to help you. The Sabbath is made to serve you. In other words, you're more important than the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is a good thing to help you lead a healthy, balanced life. But they had a relationship with the Sabbath as though they were subservient to the Sabbath. And they were not good people. And God did not love them if they were not able to do all these rules, many of which they made up and are not even in the Old Testament, in order to feel good about themselves and have this nice, righteous, pious, oh, I'm so great feeling, look at me. The Sabbath is made for man. Rules are made to serve man not vice versa. And that's, again, expanding on this key, that is the right relationship that God wants us to have with the rules, but if we have had the wrong relationship all our lives, that takes grace, it takes a battle, it takes an awareness to know that this is going on, and then by his grace, he can set us free. Deep wounds of our parents lead to destructive behavior from our parents. Some of us grew up with authoritarian, dictatorial parents and you were squashed by them, emotionally squashed by them. Your value was robbed. You felt you were a mistake. You felt you were a problem instead of a blessing. You felt like your emotions didn't matter, like you didn't have any rights. And your only sense of value came from being able to make mommy smile or make mommy treat you semi-well and not beat the crap out of you or verbally beat the crap out of you. That's reality. We're, we're in a broken world, and I'm not afraid to talk about the reality of it. Physical, emotional abuse, intimidation, belittling, shaming, that robs a child of value. That steals their God-given identity as someone who's fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of the Most High God. When God created man, he said, very good. 
When he created you, he said, very good. But a lot of us don't believe that. We don't experience that as reality in our lives. There's another problem parent experience. The absent parent also squashes a child's sense of value. They don't bond with the child emotionally, and the child stars for love and affection. They feel rejected, abandoned, alone, like they don't deserve anyone's affection. If they don't receive affection from their parents, they will not have affection for themselves. They will not have a healthy self-love. Do you understand that in the Hebrew culture, when Jesus was preaching, the family was way more intact than it is now? Way more intact, way more healthy than it is now? We're in the most damaged family environment and culture probably that the Western world has ever seen. And that makes it really hard for us to engage God and to gauge, engage one another. Jesus prays they might be one as I, the Father, are one. Well, if you can hurt somebody so much where they close their heart off, how can you be one with them? You can't. Satan knows what he's doing, but we're not unaware of his schemes. And God gives us the grace to overcome. These negative family experiences have lifelong ramifications. The abnormal experience that we may, may have had feels normal because that was your experience. That's what's familiar to you. And it determines the pattern by which the child will relate to themselves and others for the rest of their lives. Unless God intervenes. Unless God intervenes. As a side note, but a very important note, when this world was created and mankind was created, there was no sin. You know what? There were no wounds. There was no mistreatment because of sin. God did not inject sin into this world. Man chose it. And because of that, we grow up in a broken, destructive world where people use and manipulate and emotionally butcher one another because of their own wickedness and their own woundedness. We are living in a world that is not natural to us. You understand that? This world is in an abnormal state. Romans 8 says that everything is going to be renewed, that the whole creation itself groans for the liberation of the sons of God, the freedom of the sons of God. Sin is not natural to us. And I look forward and Christ looks forward to the day when he eradicates all sin from his creation. Then the tears leave. Then the crying leaves. Then the lack of emotional satisfaction leaves. But in our lives, we can see a lot of this leave before Christ comes. If we give ourselves over to him and receive things through understanding. How great is the power of the cross? The power of the cross doesn't just set us free from sin. It doesn't just enable us to go to heaven temporarily and to the new, new earth for eternity with God as he comes. The power of the cross, the power of the kingdom that is released through the cross enables us to be fully restored. Mind, soul, body, spirit, will and emotions. If you have keys of understanding of how God does this and how Satan has worked all your life and through your generations to bring this bondage and destruction, you know what? You can break it if you work and co-labor with Christ. The kingdom of God is likened unto a tree. It's something that grows. The kingdom of God is in us. The kingdom of God is something that we should want to take over every aspect of our lives. What happens when the kingdom of God comes in our, our, the, the part of our hearts and minds that believe the lies and experience them is real? You know what happens? It dismantles them. And the love takes over. The truth takes over in our emotional lives. Jesus came to bind the brokenhearted. He cares about our emotional state more than we can comprehend. He came to bind the brokenhearted. And your feelings matter to him. Two weeks ago, I met with a friend, and we prayed together, and he shared with me a story of his childhood, just one instance. His parents were divorced. He lived with his mom. 
Little child, seven, eight years old. He wants to see daddy. He wants to see daddy. Daddy calls. I'm going to come at, at five o'clock. That little child is so excited to see dad. Dad doesn't come at five. Six o'clock rolls around. No daddy. Seven o'clock rolls around. No daddy. This kid is sitting by the roadside waiting for dad to come. And dad is still not coming. But this kid has so much hope. I want to see daddy. I want to believe that dad's going to be there for me. I want to believe that daddy wants to see me, that I'm that important to him. Eight o'clock rolls around. Daddy doesn't come. And mom comes out to him. Daddy's not going to come. And you know what this kid does? He gets angry. Daddy's going to come. He wants to believe it so bad. He's not willing to give up. Ten o'clock rolls around. This kid falls asleep waiting for his dad to come. His mother picks him up, puts him in his room, and this kid yells, I hate you, Daddy. I hate you, Daddy. I hate you, Daddy. You know why he yells like that? Because his dad betrayed him. Because his dad wasn't there for him. He did not feel loved. He so desired to feel loved. He so desired to feel belonging. We are created for love and belonging. And when dad or mom treat us like trash, like that, it scars our hearts. This man that I know is very intelligent. He's very successful in the business realm. And God showed me as I was praying with him, you have been an overachiever, not because you felt loved, but because you felt unloved and you wanted to prove yourself. You wanted to, out of spite for your father, because the pain was so deep, say, I am worth something. I'm going to prove my value. You should have been there. Every day, that wound, that lie of his identity, drove him to succeed. But it was out of spite to show his dad not out of love. And many of us, in one way or another, are doing things like that. Unconsciously, we're trying to prove our value and prove our worth to ourselves and others and to God because we've bought into the lie. Most people that I do healing and deliverance with, they have a father wound. Some of us have deep mother wounds too, but it seems that most people have a father wound. And that's not an accident. When Jesus reveals the Father to people in the New Testament, the Gospels, he reveals, he reveals God as Father, doesn't he? Doesn't he say Father as a title over anything else? The Father, the Father, the Father, our Father who art in heaven. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He doesn't just have an impersonal title for God. He says Father. That's a relational term, and that is not an accident either. God wants to reveal himself to us as a father. But here's the problem. Satan has so attacked the idea of father in our society. Some of us think of the father as a negative thing. Some of us think of the father as a fearful thing because our father experience was not good. And so we're afraid of God because we're afraid of our dad, or we're afraid that God's going to abandon us and not be there for us. We're afraid that God is going to reject us if we screw up one time. I've met people like that. I was one of those people. That's not a good place to be. We project our negative father experience on God because he's the father of all fathers. We cannot help but do this. It's programmed in our heart experience. Our experience taught us what a father is. We can look at the Bible Say, this is what a father should be. We can look at our friend's dad, say, I'd like a dad like that. But even though intellectually we can understand what a good father should be, our father experience determines how we really feel and think about the father. And only God can break that power. We feel that all fathers are like our father. That is how we relate emotionally to God. 1 John 4, 7 says, the second part of it says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
God illuminated this verse to me some weeks ago. Once again, everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. There's three parts here, okay? There are two variables that enable us to love or to walk in love or to express love, to give love. Number one is being born again. Most of us here are born again. Number two is knowing God. Do you know that many of us here do not know God, but we're born again? And we do not know God because we're afraid to know him, because the lies are so rooted in us. Truly knowing God is having a dad that loves you and feeling like you belong and feeling like you're valuable because that's how he feels about us. He sent his son to die for us as sinners. We had nothing to put into the equation. He chose on his own volition to send his son to die for us. And that has to go deep in us to realize no matter what we've done or will do, God loves us and we cannot undo that love. That love is unconditional. That covenant is eternal. But for it to become heart reality, we're going to have to deal with some lies and some wounds. Wounds, lies, and fears from our earthly father experience hinder us from truly knowing God and from truly being able, oopsies, to trust God. How many of you cannot trust fully? Here, I got it. Think about that. How many of you cannot trust fully that you want to trust? You want to trust somebody? You want to trust a parental figure? Some, some of you have rebelled against authority figures. You have not come under their protection or the covering because you do not trust them. If you couldn't trust your dad, guess what? There's a wound there. There's a lie there. And you're not going to be able to trust authority figures or even God with all your heart. Until those lies are exposed and wounds are healed, we'll never have a vibrant, satisfying relationship with Father God. God is meant to be the prime foundation for our love, for our identity, for our self-value, for our joy. God is not a jerk. God is not a legalist. God is a lover. He's a lover. But for those of us who are afraid of love, we're going to gravitate towards the rules. You understand that? We all brought, were brought up with rules. We're all comfortable, familiar with rules, and those are easy. But for some of us, we're scared to death of love. We're scared to death of being loved. If we are that way, we're just going to connect to Christianity by believing intellectually the truths and trying to obey the rules best we can. But you know it's probably going to motivate our trying to obey the rules? Guilt and fear. Again, a wrong relationship with the rules. That's a miserable Christianity. Who wants it? I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want to worship a God that can only accept me if I perform right. It sounds like slavery to me. That's not the God of the Bible. Something else that happens when we are conditioned and born this way, the same rules that we impose on, our, impose on ourselves, I got to do this in order to feel good about myself, we unconsciously impose it on our friends. We impose it on our romantic relationships, and if we're not delivered from it, we're going to impose it on our kids, and they're going to have the same garbage that you have. We don't want that. Many marriages have been destroyed because of the legalism, the conditional love, the lack of grace, because that's how the husband or wife related to themselves. We treat others the way we treat ourselves. So we got to come to a place where we start to love ourselves and realize God's love for us. Many of us are afraid of love, and that is the very thing we crave. For many of us, the heart, listen to this one. For many of us, the heart is a minefield. Your heart is a dangerous place, is a minefield of wounds. And when someone touches a wound, an explosion of pain and anger occurs. A present conflict we have with a loved one touches something much deeper. An old, unresolved hurt that happened 15 years ago when we were a child. 
is pricked by the current emotional experience, conflict that we have with a loved one. And the pain that we feel is ten times more than the present conflict warrants. That is a problem. That destroys relationships. And it just compounds the problem. It compounds the woundedness. It compounds the brokenness. And it just makes you want to shut down more. Some people want to give up on Christianity. Some people want to give up on God and give up on one another and just be alone. It's exactly what Satan wants you to do. And our wounds become his weapons of warfare. They become the Judas inside of you that wants to betray you from the truth. Your friend says he'll see you an hour in an hour, but is two hours late. You feel disrespected and trust is breached. Listen, trust is breached. We can act like that's not a big deal, but you know what? It's a stinking big deal. Trust is something that affirms us. It affirms our sense of value. It is one of the foundations that enables two people to come together and to understand and accept and relate to one another. Without trust, you got nothing of any value. You understand that? That's really the way it is. You feel disrespected because your friend was two hours late. They weren't true to their word. Trust is breach. Anger billows in your heart. It's almost uncontrollable. Anybody pricked in some way and some uncontrollable anger just comes and erupts and you feel like you just want to beat the hmm out of somebody? Ever, ever happened to anybody? But it was uh, something that wasn't like a huge deal. Okay. Anger, uncontrollable anger arises. You want to ream out your friend. Little do you know you are feeling the pain stored up in your heart for 15 years. You understand? When you get a wound in your heart, you've got to understand this. When you get a wound in your heart, it doesn't just leave on its own. Time does not heal all wounds. That's a lie from hell. Your childhood wounds from five, six, eight years old, two years old, they're still in there. And they will affect you and limit you and oppress you, and Satan will use those as hooks in your life for the rest of your life to hijack relationships unless you trust God, you become vulnerable, you let them come forth, and God can take them away. With every wound, there is a capsule of anger and offense. You cannot be hurt without naturally being angry and offended. That's a natural reaction that we have. God wants to heal our wounds, but we've got to release the anger and the bitterness towards those who have been unfaithful to us. When we forgive somebody, it does not say what you did didn't matter. You know what? It does matter. And in all reality, every sin committed in this world is going to one of two places to receive judgment. God's a God of justice. Every wound is either going to go on the cross or it's going to go back on the person. Every sin that inflicted the wound is going to go on the cross or back to the person for eternity in hell. That's pretty severe. Either the cross or they are going to reap what they sowed by burning in hell for eternity. That is pretty severe. God takes sin seriously. And that's why Christ had to die on the cross. I've been through some things in my own life where it's only by the power of grace, it's only by the power of the cross that I can say, I deserve to go to hell. I have been wicked to God. I have hurt others. But God showered his grace on me in love. And it's only by the power and the foundation of that grace can I or can you forgive some people who have hurt you so deeply that you don't want to do it, you can't do it, you wear the wound as a badge, you find your identity in the wound to protect you even, to release that wound to God by saying, I forgive that person. I forgive mom for not being there. I forgive dad for rejecting me. I forgive dad for abusing me. I forgive mom for not wanting me. Those are deep wounds. So most of us have grown up with a wrong father image that we're stuck with until God brings forth freedom. Only by encountering the Father of love can we have a right relationship to the rules. Love is the necessary variable in the equation that enables us to look at good rules in such a way as we don't try to earn value from them or use them as a mediator between us and God. Love is a supernatural occurrence. 
God has love for us, but you know what? He doesn't just have love for us. He wants to give that love to us. And he wants to satisfy the deepest cravings and longings of our hearts and of our souls with his love. The problem is not on his end. The problem is on our end where there are strongholds and lies and unforgiveness. A true image of the Father. There are a lot of good fathers in this world, but no father's perfect. No mother's perfect. If our image of God is anything less than unconditional love, you know what? We believe a lie about who God is because his love is unconditional. He loves all of us with a perfect love. And it is true to say for us to receive and experience that love, there's one necessary thing that needs to happen. Faith in the Son of God dying for us has to come into our hearts, we have to believe it, and then the door of our heart is open to receive the Father's love. That's the covenant of grace. He did it for us. All we have to do is believe it. And our hearts are made anew and we're transformed. 1 John 4.8 says God is love. You can't get more plain than that. God himself, he says, I'm love. I am love. God is love. God does love. He always will love. He will always love us with a perfect love for eternity. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. That's a part of his nature. That's an attribute that's unchangeable, that's eternal. He is love. Imagine living a life where you can give and receive love without any encumbrance, without anything hindering you. You know how satisfying that would be? That would be amazing. God does that all the time. We're called to be like Christ. That's where God wants to take us. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The key, gave, that's a strong verb. He gave. He so loved the world, the love prompted him to give. Did the world earn that love? No, the, the world earned condemnation, judgment, and destruction. So God came to sinners with love freely given that they may not perish. They could never earn it. We can never earn it. Every day, it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. I can earn nothing. But I receive his love. I need to believe correctly in order to have the right heart position and posture to receive the love of God. Restoring the right image of God. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32 is one of my favorite stories in all of the word of God. Now, remember the Pharisees are criticizing Christ in his whole ministry. The Pharisees are always coming at him, the legalists, the rule slaves. They're, Christ is being criticized in the beginning of this passage you're with tax collectors and sinners. You welcome tax collectors and sinners. Well, didn't it say in John 3.16 that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, etc., etc., etc.? Yeah, he does like to hang out with tax collectors and sinners because he loves them. And they don't have to do anything or be good to earn his love because his love is unconditional. They didn't get it. That's a tragedy. They didn't get it. It'll be a tragedy if we don't get it too. All right, the, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Prodigal means excessive, excessive. We see excess in how he lives his life, but there's another kind of excess that I see here. It's a good excess. It's the, the excess of the father, the grace and love of the father. That's the excess that I am very attracted to. That's the kind of dad I want to have. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Was he interested in relationship, this son? No, he was interested in the stuff because he thought that the stuff would make him happy. He'd get what he always wanted. So that's what he did. Do you realize in Hebrew culture, this is a huge insult. And under the Old Testament, if children were dishonorable to parents, they'd have every right to stone them. Most children in our culture would be stoned. 
under the Old Testament standard. That's reality. So he divided the property between them. Okay, son, I will give you your share. Fathers gave their sons their shares when the fathers died. This son is basically saying, hey, I don't care about your life. I don't care about you. I just want the stuff. Does that sound like America? Does that sound like a materialistic America where we are being conditioned as consumers? We get the right clothes. We get the right stuff. We think we're going to be happy. We're going to be happy if we get the right stuff. But it only makes us more miserable. And so we get more stuff to try and fill the void. And it just makes us more miserable. And then we're broke. It's a lie from hell. This, this society is trying to make us consumers more than anything else. Make us consumers and feed and eat and squander and think that that's where real life comes from. That's a joke. That's just a joke. Not long after that, the son, he's left. He's got the money. He's excited. The younger son got together all he had, left his father's house. I'm going to try it on my own with all my stuff and see what a wonderful, loving world there is out there. Set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He was looking for pleasure. He was looking for a fulfillment. Wild living. What does that involve? Sexual morality, indulgences of all sorts. After he had spent everything, the inheritance he got probably could have lasted him for many, many, many years, but he was very indulgent. He was not wise with what he was given. How many of us are not wise with what we're given? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. There's two key words that I get here, famine and need. He left the father's house. There's a famine. What is a famine? It's a lack. It's dry. It's desolate. It's fruitless. And there's a need that comes. There's a need that is, is exposed when he leaves the father's house. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. Old Testament culture, pigs are unclean animals. He hired himself. He basically rejected his sonship, his relationship with his dad. He squandered his goods because here's the reality. Goods, any sort of material blessing without relationship and love it's a curse. It's not a blessing. So he became a slave. He turned from being a son to a slave. He's not happy. He thought he'd leave the father's house and be really happy. No, he never expected this. He had no idea what he's getting himself into. He longed to fill himself with the paws that were the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He did not experience love. People were using him. People were using him. How many of us have felt used by others, used by leaders, used by boyfriends, girlfriends, used by friends. It doesn't feel good to be used, does it? It just robs you of your self-worth and dignity. Some people get so used that they want to kill themselves. I've known people that have killed themselves because of their value was so robbed and the pain that they had to endure day after day was just so severe. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? This father, remember, Jesus is making a portrayal of God here, God the Father. This is the heart of Father God. This is the grace of Father God. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? God gives us abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. They have food to spare, not just what we need, but beyond. Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. It's interesting that the father never went to pursue the son, isn't it? How fruitful do you think that would have been for the father to pursue the son? Not fruitful. Wise fathering will allow a child to get a bit broken and bruised. And this father respected the free will of the son, even though he knew it was going to cause him harm. Sometimes we have to learn things the hard way, and it was actually the love of the father that restricted him. He was not a controlling, manipulative father. Our Father in Heaven is not a controlling, manipulative father. He will let you go off and squander your inheritance. But you know what? His heart never changes for us. And he prays and hopes that we learn what we need to learn and appreciate what we took for granted. So, 
There's a heart change in the son that leads the son back to the father. The father is waiting the whole time. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He realizes the severity of his sin. I have treated my father like trash. I've used him as a means to an end. I didn't care about the relationship. And rightfully so, he concluded, because I squandered my sonship, I know he's a good, gracious man. I will be content to go back as a slave because it beats what I'm getting out here apart from my father. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He got up and went to his father. He knew the heart of the father well enough to know that that's the only place where true grace and satisfaction could be found. We go to so many different things, so many different people, false identities, but ultimately the only place where we're going to be satisfied is going back to the father's house. Okay, what's the father going to do? My son, I've given him many thousands of dollars. He disrespected me. He betrayed me. He rejected me. I spent all these years providing for his needs and loving him, and he slaps me in the face and breaks my heart. Do you think the father was heartbroken? He was heartbroken. He could have done this. You're not my son. You betrayed me. You deserve to never set face in my presence again, set foot in my presence. He could have done that, and that would have been just. But he didn't do that. You know how many of us think like that if we sin and screw up? We go back to the Father. We, come as a, we think we've got to be a slave. We think we've got to earn something to be reestablished into this position of relationship. This guy was convicted of sin, but God had something better than law for him, didn't he? When the, he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. His father was in such a heart stance. He was looking for his son. He was looking for his son, the desire of his heart. God says, you're the apple of my eye. I lavish my love on you. I chose you from before the foundation of the world. This is not because God had to. You know Jesus didn't have to die on the cross? You know that God did not have to redeem humanity? He chose to. And you know that it actually gives him pleasure to lavish his love on us? Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians chapter 1 and tell me if God does not get a crazy amount of pleasure and joy by loving us. He loves to love us. But while he was still away off, his father saw him and was so filled with compassion, not legalism, not judgment, compassion, acceptance. Son, I want you. My heart for you has never changed. No matter what you do, I will never change my posture towards you. You can never be disowned. You can never be rejected. I will always love you unconditionally. This son did everything that he possibly could to make his dad hate him and reject him, but his dad chose him. His dad never changed his heart attitude towards his son. Neither will God ever change his heart attitude towards us. Ever, ever, ever. No matter how much we might feel that because of the lies that we were conditioned to believe, he will never change his heart attitude towards us. What does the father do? You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to earn your place back. Is that what he does? The answer is no. He ran to his son. There's passion. There's love behind the action of the father. He ran to the son, not with a staff to beat him, but with gentle, loving arms to embrace him. He knew that his son was hurting. I think the father was hurting too. He knew that his son was hurting. He laid down any negative emotions. Love was more powerful than anything else he thought or felt. And he was concerned more about the son than his own dignity, his own self-respect. Remember, Jesus is talking about God here. Is this your concept of God? He threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's a lot of affection. This, this son smells like pig crap. You know, his, his clothes are tattered. He doesn't care about what this guy smells like, the stinkiness of sin. He just loves him and embraces him. Grace. He finds grace. He finds nothing else but grace. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, which is true. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which is true. 
How did the father respond? Did he respond by the law? No, he responds by grace. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. He is restoring the slave mentality to a sonship mentality, to value. Where his identity was robbed out in the world, he's restoring this, this, this young son's identity and value. He brings the best robe. He puts a ring on his finger. A ring signifies authority in this culture. Wow. This, this kid did everything to unearn love and unearn status and unearn a place of honor. Everything he possibly could do. You know what? God overlooked it all. And he showed that broken child honor and value and love and care and respect. And you know what? That is what he wants to do to us. For God to call us a son or to call us a daughter is the highest honor that he could possibly give us. We're not just saved. We are brought into his family. We're adopted as his children. You realize what that means? Everything that God has, he's created how many billions of galaxies and how many trillions of stars, gazillions of planets around all these stars, but his heart is directed towards us. God is infinite God is endless, but he loves to relate to us. And he takes more pleasure in loving us as his children than he takes in anything else. Some would say pleasure in his glory. Well, true, but he's a God of love, and he loves to give people like us love. They began to celebrate. No condemnation, no judgment, celebration. The older son was in the field. He came near to the house, heard music dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him who was going out. Your, your brother has come home. Was, was the brother showing unconditional love here? Or is the brother a legalist? Doesn't understand sonship and the grace that comes with it. Your father has killed a fattened calf because he has had him back safe and sound. Well, the brother became angry and refused to go in. He became angry. This man's responding out of law, not out of grace. The father went out and pleaded with him. And he mustered his, he, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. What kind of terminology is that? Is that a feeling like a beloved son? No, the, the father was the perfect father, but the son had a wrong mentality. I've got a slave for this guy. So many of us have that wrong mentality. I've got a slave for God. I've got a slave and slave and earn and earn my place in the kingdom. All these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. He was all about rules and not anything about relationship. Wow, that's our struggle, isn't it? All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders that you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Is it because the father wouldn't have given him the young goat and would have given all this blessing or is it because the son didn't believe that the father would? The son would not accept the father's love and the father's blessing because he had a wrong view of the father. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Doesn't seem just, doesn't seem fair. Well, it isn't just, it isn't fair. It's all grace, it's all love. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's the true heart of the father. Everything God has is ours. We got to have the right heart mentality here. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. God does value morality. He values good rules. However, he values us more than he values the rules. And that's why he sent his son to die on the cross so he could make a way. That's the only way it could have been done because God is just but God is also love. So he sacrificed his son to satisfy his justice so his love could be freely given to us. We could never undo our sin problem. Jesus undid it for us. And God wants to relate to us more than he wants us to obey him. Are we supposed to obey him? The answer is yes. But a true son is going to obey the father not because he has to, but because he wants to. You understand? Love as the motivating factor for obedience brings freedom, it brings life, it brings dignity, but coming to the rules without that revelation of the Father's love, it destroys you. 
and it destroys your relationship with the Father. I prayed, I asked God, what does he want to have happen? I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you think after hearing this message can say, I have a father wound of some sort? Just raise your hands. Anybody? I see some hands raised here. Father wound? Anybody have a mother wound here? There's some deep pain. There's some deep pain. Neglect, abuse, whatever the case may be. God wants to bring forth emotional healing tonight and deliverance. Satan's the father of lies. Jesus came with the truth to break the lies. He came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what it says in 1 John. And we need to learn how to operate in that power of deliverance. And so I'm going to ask you, okay, okay, I'm going to ask you if this has touched your heart, if it resonates with your experience, I want to lead you into some prayers of forgiveness for your parents, some renunciation of the lies you have believed, which Satan has used in order to hold you back from experiencing the Father's love and feeling satisfied. This is a really important word, guys. I, 